0: The only way of discovering the limits of the possible is to venture a little way past them into the impossible. The Interplanetary Podcast.
1: The exploration of space for the benefit of all humankind. Your hosts here in England, Matthew Russell and Harriet Brattle. Arthur C. Clarke. Here we go, we're in. Arthur C. Clarke and... A new guest host, well, old guest host, old old, old friend of the show, old friend of the show, Harriet Brettel.
0: Oh, hi, man. It's great to be here.
1: Uh, loads has happened with Harriet Brettel, hasn't it, since we last spoke? I
0: feel like throughout my space journey, the Interplanetary Podcast has been one of those guiding lights, you know? <laughs> it's kind of you know, like how in 2001 they have the... Um, those little sentinel blocks that appear in major oh, stones. Oh yeah, right.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what
0: the interplanetary podcast is for me. Every now and then, you you guys pop up, and I love it. It's awesome. So uh,
1: awesome. A bit like those those weird metal things that were appearing <laughs> uh, recently everywhere. I
0: and a bit right no one really found out yeah. what was going on
1: there i always thought that that was going to end up being really disappointing like a coca-cola
0: ad or something right yeah yeah
1: yeah i must admit i don't know what happened to it maybe i'll find out for next week <laughs> do some digging <laughs> <laughs> right first of all harriet i'm going to celebrate a birthday i couldn't find any other astronomers or astronauts or anything born t- born today january the 18th i know we're doing this on january the 17th but it goes out January the 18th, 1971, which, if you didn't know, Harriet, is the it's it's the optimum year to have been born.
0: <laughs> You're saying that <they're> completely <laughs> impartially and unbiased, impartial, I'm sure.
1: Very impartial. I just happened to be born in 1971. But, uh, yes, Amy Barger. Do you know Amy Barger, Harriet? I
0: had not have- come across Amy until uh, look, thinking about this podcast, but... She's awesome. What a cool job she has, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. So, yeah, she's the professor at uh, Wisconsin-Madison University in the astronomy department. Big deal when it comes to things like uh, observational cosmology. Something about the activity of black holes in nearby galaxies. That's what she's expert in.
0: Amazing. Which,
1: let's face it, is a pretty cool job, isn't it?
0: <laughs> Can you imagine being at dinner party and be like, what's your job? Oh. I study the activity of black holes in nearby galaxies. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> oh, what a way to live your life! It's amazing. Yeah. yeah,
1: I mean, when she was born, of course, they didn't really think that black holes existed.
0: Yeah, that must be amazing to study something where our understanding has expanded so much within your own lifetime, right? That
1: that's quite extraordinary. That is nuts. So as, as we don't have a guest this week, I thought we'd do Space News. It's a Space News week, but it's been such a busy week. Just It's just a weekly Space News because it, there's been a lot going on, even though it seems like there hasn't mm-hmm. because you've, everyone's been sort of shut in their house. Actually, still stuff's going on. Space doesn't well, I stop. Some, space doesn't stop, <laughs> that's for certain. So uh, the Parker Solar Probe, And I didn't realise it had been out this long, but it's done its seventh perihelion, seventh time it's done its dip straight, you know, around the sun. Oh wow! And it only seems to have only launched last year, but I'm sure it's been around for a couple of years. (laughs) I think that's the um, (laughs)
0: our weird understanding of time has just kind of, you know, melted over this whole last period, right? (laughs)
1: 2020 has just disappeared. I have no, I have no no idea what that was. It's gone. (laughs) Let's not talk about it anymore. (laughs) Let's not talk about it anymore. Um, uh, I I don't know if you're aware, Harriet, but if you hear the name Elon Musk, you must shout the word drink Uh because um, uh, every every time he's mentioned, we thought it would be a nice drinking game for people out there. Oh, I love it. it, That that way, whenever you listen to the Interplanetary podcast, you could probably get drunk (laughs) because his name often comes up. So, but this one, this one, Elon Musk, drink!
0: I've got a is, cup of tea, does that count? <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. I think it does. I think you don't necessarily, okay, get caffeined up. You wild. don't have to necessarily. People in space often are pretty wild. There's actual drink associated with uh, the dragon this week. There was a dragon capsule that landed for the first time in the Atlantic down near Florida. And it had a case of what, do you think?
0: I don't know. Well, I mean some kind of drink, right? You're going to tell me it was tea. Please tell me there's space tea.
1: I believe Tim Peake took tea up. He took oh, Yorkshire. He took he took Yorkshire tea up, didn't he? That
0: is quintessential, isn't it? Of all the things oh, for yeah. a British it, astronaut
1: it, to take up. It, if a Brit doesn't take some tea up to the International Space Station, there's something wrong. No, no, I mean this is actually a French company, there's a clue. What were the French take up? Cheese, wine, bread wine oh. so it's a, cr- a a big case of bordeaux oh. was taken up 12 bottles all sealed up taken up because there's this uh, a company called space cargo unlimited although that doesn't sound very french so i presume I wonder if they have a french name and they want to bring agriculture into the future and have a sort of organic and healthy um future and, and trying to work out how to do that. And one of the things is to see, and they think that the quality of life is determined by French food, like cheese and wine. <laughs> I mean, I'm, <laughs> so, I'm not going to say no to them. <laughs> so, so, no, no, absolutely. And uh, so, uh, yes, they sent up this wine and they're going to open it up and see what it tastes like and and do a chemical analysis and see if space changed it.
0: So, should we place our bets now? Do you like? Do you think that the wine is going to get better or worse from being in space,
1: <laughs> or, or nothing? Or no- <laughs> do you think it? Might, or nothing? Do you think there'll be no discernible? That'd be amazing. Imagine if it came back and it's the best bottle of wine anyone's ever tasted, oh. and then suddenly there's a. It, it, everyone just keeps sticking crates of wine on things on on well, on the International Space Station. There's
0: been a few things like this that have happened recently, right? Because I think. Um, I think it was like Estee Lauder have put some like um, beauty face serum up into the space station, right, to do some promos. And you've got, um, I heard of a company a while back that were planning to roast coffee beans on re-entry. I don't know if you heard about that.
1: Yeah, no, I did see that, but I I don't know whether it happened. I don't know whether that one's happened. Yeah, but I did see that. That's quite a cool one because (laughs) it's kind of using, it's actually using the heat that, that uh, otherwise would have been wasted
0: right there's there's a kind of purpose it's... to it right
1: <laughs> just send well, yeah, the wine up space, bring the wine down space yeah <laughs> space roasted coffee beans
0: <laughs> yeah but no, that that's exciting I mean this is kind of cool right because it'll be interesting to see if there is a value add of putting these things in space beyond the fun factor right
1: yeah well I think everyone's trying to think of commercial experiments you can do on the ISS and let's face it it's kind of its salvation if people are, are able to do more and more of these mm. things yeah. up up in up in space. I believe that Dragon capsule brought back some of that ZBLAN uh, fiber optic cable as well. Oh, you know, interesting! They sort of make that um, fiber optic cable that can only be made in space, mm-hmm. and it's like a hundred times more efficient than the earthbound optical fiber. Oh, great! So there's a big so stuff for the like capsule. that.
0: So I did, they yeah. did a lot. Yeah, well, I
1: think... <laughs> Yeah, you know, I think there's mice in there as well. So it's it's one of those things that I, no one ever talks about the it, no one ever talks about the cargo of these things. But actually if you read about the cargo, it's there's there's loads of things on on board that are just like what? They've got mice and and bottles of wine and loads of vines as well. They had like loads of wine vines oh, and wow. stuff like that. It's
0: kind of like yeah. like Mary Poppins' bag, isn't it? You know, you go into the capsule, well, what are we going to find today? Here's a <laughs> <laughs> random collection
1: of yeah, crazy. Yeah, which which I think is why they want things like the space rider. The Europeans are pushing things like the space rider because you can you can land your experiments mm. in a sort of easy place rather than dropping it in the ocean. Yeah. And actually get get your hands on an experiment really really quickly, which might of course be vital for certain experiments. Mhm. Um, but no experiments flew up on the new Shepard this week. So uh, Jeff Bezos, or Bezos, he uh, <laughs> he uh, flew. He uh, uh, there was a new Shepard, a new booster, and a new crew capsule. So the RSS first step. Oh, did you see might it inside?
0: Be, it looks pretty snazzy, doesn't
1: it? It it does look it do, does look very snazzy. So that that might be by the end of this year the first commercial space vehicle yeah as in taking taking people up doing that doing that trip into space
0: that that's going to be huge right because we've been talking it's always been later this year for like the last three years (laughs) so
1: i don't know how many times i've had it at the beginning of the year where i've said "Oh, you know we'll definitely see space tourism this year And, and this that's gone on for three years but there's i don't know what the name of the logical fallacy is here but there's a logical fallacy that says, oh, they always say it's too, it's going to happen this year, and it never does. Well, presumably, that every time they say it, they must be closer mm. to it being this year. <laughs> that's, it can't be like they'll just say that indefinitely forever. But that's how they I'm get convinced.
0: you. It's like, this time it will be different. This time they will uh-huh. launch. But yeah, I, I mean, having just acknowledged this uh, fallacy, as you say, this year could be different, right? I feel like we're yeah. closer than we ever have been with... Both Blue Origin and um, Virgin Galactic, right? So
1: uh, yeah, it's got to, it, well, it's got to be close. It's got to be close because I think this one was good. Although they, the booster didn't land anywhere near the middle of the target, which got Twitter in a in a big storm about how inaccurate it all was. But hey, I it, it's obviously a different vehicle to the Falcon. At least I think it landed. It landed. It it kind of does. A, it, it also does a kind of hover. So I think it's probably trickier mm-hmm. to do that on the spot. Who knows? Um, it was carrying fifty thousand postcards from a, from a sort of a little club called Club for the Future, which is a bunch of kids.
0: Oh, see, I know a little bit about Club for the Future, actually. So this, uh, I'll tell you a little bit of uh, inside info. Well, it's not inside, but um, Mm. some... uh, Outside. Outside info, (laughs) yeah. So Club (laughs) for the Future is awesome. So this is a kind of, I guess, non-profit spin-off that's come out of Blue Origin, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And their objective is to get a million postcards flown in space. And so um, they have an awesome website. Anyone can, like you know, check it out. You can, I, you know, it's for kids, but I think there's a lot of adults who would quite like to fly a postcard in space as well. Um, oh, definitely. But, you know, you you send them a postcard with a, you know, um, return envelope. They'll fly into space, post it back to you. How cool is that? I love it. Such a cool idea.
1: Do you think people start to make the distinction between my postcard has been in orbit or that has only been suborbital. Oh, the space snobs. (laughs) (laughs) Utter space snobs. Here's here's a question, though. Who's cooler, Mannequin Skywalker
0: Mm -hmm. or
1: Starman? Which billionaire's crash test dummy is cooler? Mannequin (laughs) Skywalker or Starman? So
0: I'm going to say Mannequin Skywalker has definitely got the punnier name, so kudos on the name. I agree, I agree. But I think Starman has got...
1: The Bowie reference,
0: yeah, exactly. And don't wait, don't they with um, SpaceX? They always stand up like a zero g uh, detector, right? Which is like a you know, like a plush toy or like
1: mm, that little fluffy dinosaur thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think actually, I'm going to put my vote on that little plush toy that goes up over both Aww. of them.
1: Yeah, yeah, the, the little dinosaur, which according to some people, is the actual shape of the Earth. And it was for the astronauts to navigate with. Oh, oh yes. But <laughs> <laughs> well, as believable as the Earth being flat. So <laughs> now I think today we, we might see uh, Virgin Orbit do Launcher One.
0: <gasps> launcher might. One, second time yeah. lucky, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. So that's got a bunch of really cool stuff on board, which we talked about last week. But it may or may not have happened by the time this go- goes out. And then this this week was is quite a busy week because so far only uh, SpaceX has been to space in 2021, but uh, it's going to be joined by maybe Launcher One, maybe Virgin, maybe uh, Electron. Another one leaves the crust, which <sighs> I think is the second time they've used a Queen song, or or maybe a third time they've used a Queen song as their That's... as their reference.
0: I love it. There's something like just so much more fun about. Oh, it's just genius, isn't it? Because, you know, you could have your launch be like, oh, this is launch XBQYT, and you're like, oh, okay, Mm -hmm. fine. Give it a pun. It makes it so much more exciting
1: right yes yeah, it's, de- it's definitely more exciting than the isa launches which are like va115 or, <laughs> yeah. or something like that uh-huh. it's like yeah I, i'm finding it hard to track which one i liked the most out of all of those yeah <laughs> but another one yeah another one leaves the crust you, you can't you can't i might have to add another one bites the dust to my um to the space playlist now um <laughs> Falcon 9 60 more Starlinks so a nice uh, bunch of Starlinks up there again <laughs> i space uh, Hi- hyperbola 1 which is like a mm. chinese a chinese uh, launcher a private launcher so they're kind of like the chinese SpaceX the i space oh wow and then another 10 Starlinks only 10 because they've got this other they has got this satellite dispenser that's putting out a bunch of cubesats as well On the same launch. So I think it might be one of the Falcon 9's first rideshare things, one of these things, you know, super low-cost CubeSat launch. Amazing. So that's actually probably, we should probably talk about that more next week Mm -hmm. when um, uh, uh, looking at it. Um, do you wanna hear the most depressing story of all time Go <laughs> possibly on. of all time? This actually might be the most depressing story of all time that makes <laughs> covid <laughs> seem like a walk in the park
0: oh you're you're really selling it there I have to say i know
1: <laughs> twenty twenty was the warmest year on record mm, oh no, according to NASA and its big fleet of satellites and hundreds of other resources that it's looking at this oh. there is a small margin of error that mean it might be tied with 2016 as the hottest year ever doesn't
0: really help though does it it's still pretty bad but it was
1: the hottest <laughs> year ever so it, the global te- get this global the average global temperature was 1 degree celsius warmer than the baseline between 1951 and
0: 1980 oh no it's not great one is it 1
1: degree 1 degree is that i mean that is that is unbelievable.
0: Yeah. I actually
1: I was actually when I was reading this report on, on the NASA website I I was kind of going uh yeah this isn't good. Yeah there's a the GISS director Gavin Schmidt he sort of said you know it doesn't really matter about one year being hot you know that can mm-hmm. be an anomaly but the kind of d- dramatic trend <laughs> You know, the, the trend year in, year out is that it's getting hotter.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Because, you know, you think, oh, you know, this was just a fluke year. But if if every year for the last seven years has been a fluke year, that's starting to tell you that it, it's probably not a fluke, right? Yeah, so...
1: well, well, you could, yeah. I mean, you could argue it was a fluke year because there was the global shutdown because of COVID and uh, meant that there's reduced kind of smoke. <laughs> and particles in the atmosphere.
0: Oh, this was the thing. Yeah, because wasn't there, I remember there, there was kind of when the, maybe it was when the first lockdown happened, there were these amazing images of, I think it was from like Sentinel satellite or something, looking at the pollution over Europe, right? And it had dramatically reduced. You'd, you'd have thought that 2020 might have been a, a good year for climate yeah. recovery,
1: not <laughs> not the worst. Well, I I think we probably put slightly less carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, but not by much. I think when there's a recession. Yeah, and those pictures from the Sentinels was of air pollution itself, wasn't Mm. it? And so cities were much healthier (laughs) as a result. But the actual kind of particles that go up into the atmosphere actually uh, um, stop sunlight getting down. So without those actually you do get a warming effect mm. when i was a kid there was a, a concern about global cooling because of because of um <laughs> little did power, they know but, yeah little did they know actually <laughs> the global cooling has actually been masking the global warming <laughs> but but on the flip side of covid's warming effect there's been the australian bushfires which should have had the opposite effect so uh, there was like 40 million acres of land gone up in smoke and obviously that smoke goes 18 miles up into the atmosphere and blocks the sun so there's been the two confounding factors actually working against each other so it's unlikely to be a fluke
0: Mm. oh gosh yeah 2020 (laughs) god you forget don't you you know it started off with these horrific fires across australia and Little
1: did we know. <laughs> That's nothing. <laughs>
0: yes, yeah, we're just getting started.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure for the people of Australia, it wasn't nothing. But it, no. uh, yeah, I mean, but yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, there's been wildfires all around the world. I mean, that it's, it's since global warming started. I mean, one degree of one degree Celsius has caused you know loss of sea ice, sea level rise, uh, heat waves. You know all the habitats that change all around the world intense hurricanes there's more hurricanes than there's ever been so it's yeah it's 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 and that's after one degree and the and the whole idea for 2050 to get that the 2050 is to try and make it so it doesn't go to two degrees or over two and a half degrees or something
0: oh gosh and we're almost halfway there
1: yeah well we might be over halfway there because remember that the effect of the carbon dioxide doesn't kick in for ages mm. So uh, the it, we we might you know we might have to start taking CO2 out to avoid that 2 degrees.
0: Yeah. Oh Quite gosh!
1: Frustrating, isn't it? It is. But the good news is, we do have a president now that actually wants to listen to scientists.
0: Well, in like two days' time, don't don't hold your breath.
1: Oh no, that's true. don't, don't tempt <laughs> fate. Yeah. Gosh, Trump, Trump might blow up the world in the meantime. So, uh, if you're listening to this, we have survived. <laughs> Psycho in the wet, in the White House. Oh my gosh! But yeah, so hopefully yes america will will be back on board with things like the paris agreement who knows
0: mm-hmm. yeah and, and 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 i think actually biden I, just over the last few days has announced the um members of his science team and seems to be actually taking them seriously which is awesome so he said science will always be at the forefront of my administration which is good news, right? It
1: is good A, a nice
0: news. change. Um, and he's elevating the post of science advisor to the cabinet level, which is the first time that uh, that position has had that level of seniority. So um, practicing what he preaches, I hope. Well, um, well, we'll see how that plays out, right?
1: It is interesting. There is a kind of, I think what's missing at the moment is a kind of philosophy of science where scientists say stuff but it's up to politicians to do stuff. Science Mm -hmm. science doesn't tell you what to do. It only tells you what is probably true. That has been a slightly misunderstood, which has given scientists a bit of a bad name. Scientists don't tell us what to do. They just say, this is what, this is what we found, and then the politicians have to kind of look at it and go, this is what we should do about it.
0: Yeah. No, it's a really interesting distinction, actually, right, yeah. because – It's subtle. It yeah, subtle. you say, oh, we've got to listen to the scientists. It's like that's stage one, right? Firstly, first you've got to listen to them, and then you've got to use that information to make your decision, right? So – um yeah, it's it's a great starting point,
1: but you still got to keep it, going. <laughs> it, it is a great starting point because because Trump obviously was the classic. I'm going to listen to the scientists, and if it doesn't fit in with what I want to do, I'm just going to ignore it. Mm. I mean, he literally he literally said it. I mean, it's not. I mean, that is on the record as something because I hate getting political, but Trump literally said that, and obviously, as someone who believes in science, it's 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 hard to kind of stomach it. I don't think it's a political point at all. I think it's just. It's just not a good way of, uh, particularly with, with this this news, the 2020 being the warmest year on record, it's like, mm-hmm. it's just, you kind of got to pay attention, haven't you? Right what what was one of the most depressing things that happened in in 2020
0: in Oh gosh yeah it was the fall of Arecibo right the yeah. oh those videos the pictures it's so sad isn't it It was
1: sad I mean it was pretty epic that they had all these drones and everything flying around while the thing collapsed but there was something a little bit weird about it wasn't it it was like watching a mm. it's like rubbernecking on the motorway <laughs> someone's had a car crash it's like yeah that that must be very depressing. For like, imagine if imagine if you're a research student or a research graduate, mm-hmm. and and you've been working on a project for five or six years, and it and it revolves around the Arecibo dish, of mm-hmm. which there must have been hundreds and hundreds of people in that position. Yeah. And then it's like it's not there anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah, uh, and let alone all the staff that work there and the. Puerto Rican economy and all mm-hmm. those things, because it must that actually must be a sort of reasonably big part of it. I would have thought, yeah, like a big research place. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, there's actually been some reasonably good news on that front because they're looking like that. Basically, the moment it collapsed, there was this guy called Ramon Lugo, who's the principal inv- investigator, uh, part of the University of Central Florida, I think took over the place in 2018 mm-hmm. which they which they must go God that was a bit <laughs> not not a great move um, <laughs> but he he basically turned around to staff and said right staff researchers come, let's come up with a plan for something to replace the Arecibo dish and it's got to be relevant for the next 50 years it's got to satisfy planetary and atmospheric and and astronomers it's got to everyone's got to be happy with it and it's got to cost around 400 million and I thought, Jesus, that's cheap. Does that sound cheap to you? Four hundred million dollars to replace an iconic observatory. I, I,
0: I think when numbers get that big, it's very hard <laughs> to like put them in uh, context, right? Like four hundred million. I, I was thinking, oh gosh, that's loads. But then you know, you think about the size of that dish. I don't know. Have they have they done it? Have they got a plan, Matt? It's yeah, that good news here.
1: Yeah, so th- so they have. They put in this well. It, it's a mixed bag, this one, because they've put in this white, in this white paper mm. that basically they have come up with a new design. And instead of being this enormous dish, that, because the Arecibo dish is sat in a sinkhole. Mm. And instead of it being this enormous dish sat in a sinkhole, they're going to build a platform over the sinkhole and have a thousand steerable dishes attached to that platform.
0: Oh, so it's lots of little dishes that can
1: be lots of lots of little dishes, yeah, rather Hmm. than this big fixed dish. And one of the one of the reasons why they'd want to do that is because its field of view will be five hundred times bigger. So every time you observe, you can see five hundred times more of the sky. (laughs) Um, But also, it yeah, that is quite a good reason. But you can also see two times more of the sky in general as well. So which which, and this is the cool bit: you can you can turn arecibo now to have a look at sagittarius a star
0: that would be a cool thing to see you. <laughs>
1: i think one of the reasons why they want to do that in in x-rays is so that you can look at something like a pulsar that might be in orbit around the supermassive black hole and then mm. using the the super precise timing of the pulsar which we'll we'll talk about again in a minute using that super precise clock like uh, timing they'll be able to probe really, really deeply into the gravitational field of the central black hole, which, of course, will be further and further tests of general relativity and maybe new science. Amazing. So, yeah, so so that, that, that looks really cool. And for me, $400 million, you would have thought, you know, someone like Elon Musk could actually just go, yeah, just build it like that. I mean, generally, that that's the sort of money he could just drop like that. You know, if you think that Bezos, for example, is spending a billion a year on Blue Origin, mm. 400 million. Okay, it's almost half that, but it's like he could do it, you know. It could so be done. Maybe, It could be done. So maybe private enterprise. And the reason why it might be private enterprise and not – government is that the decadal review where they sit round and and discuss what scientists want to do for the next Mm. 10 years has just been done so of course you've got all these amazing projects that everyone wants to do that have all or everyone's kind of all sat round and decided so if you've then brought this one in and said oh this has got to jump the queue you'd piss off all these other people that have that have spent presumably the last couple of years lobbying to get their big science uh, project. And the other nightmare is Puerto Rico doesn't have a voting representative in Congress. Right. So it's harder for them to have someone bully (laughs) the American institution into, into sort of getting these things over the line. But the Puerto Rican governor... As alligated allocated, alligated, alligated, allocated. <laughs> but they probably do have alligators down there, um eight million dollars to clean up the site and sort of do this review, so there's you know there's hope if, there is hope I, I I genuinely really, really hope that there's that there's some hope there,
0: yeah, and I quite like what you said about not just rebuilding it but doing you know rebuilding it in a way where you can get more science, you've got more capability, you know, you're build, oh, building back better. But that sounds like a political slogan, doesn't it? <laughs> Whose was that?
1: Oh, God. Make, make Arecibo great again. <laughs> yeah,
0: I'm probably quoting some, <laughs> oh, God, 2020 campaign. That's dangerous.
1: <laughs> yeah, MAGA, make Arecibo great again. That's fine. <laughs> it's it's, a, it's a, a sort of repurposing of some hats that will no longer be wearable.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. That'd yeah, make Arecibo great again. I, I I think that's the way you've got to. Uh, yeah,
1: we've just been talking about Arecibo, so we may as well go to my paper of the week. Mm. This is a great little science story. Really super cool, and annoyingly, it do, it is one of those papers that has that has revolved around the Arecibo dish. Oh. It's information from the Arecibo dish. So hopefully they're still able to carry on doing what they're doing. This is called the Nanograv 12 and a half year dataset. Search for an isotropic stochastic gravitational wave background. <laughs>
0: So you know what we were talking about earlier with like catchy launch names after we've gone through this we need to come up with a catchy name for this uh, paper.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Do you know what when when I read the abstract I had no idea what it was talking about. It was it seemed really <laughs> negative. It sort of it felt, felt like they hadn't done anything. Luckily there are lots of uh, uh, good news outlets that are out there that threw it and sort of <laughs> broke it down for me, but I'd kind of got the gist in terms of Nanograv is this North American nano-HER observatory for gravitational waves, right? Mm-hmm. And instead of using LIGO or Virgo as the as the detector, mm-hmm. what you do is you have the entire galaxy as your as as the big tunnel, and then you use pulsars as the lasers to earth right and so as earth sits in the sea it's like bobbing about in the sea of gravitational waves and you've got all these lighthouses Mm. that you can measure the distance to or the timings of yeah and from that you can kind of work out that you're bobbing around in the sea and what the energy is and what's causing it and so so obviously this is really difficult because you're talking about the the because it's using the arrival times of these beacons as mm-hmm. they come in, and obviously it's 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 something ridiculous. It's it's like they only change by nanoseconds, few hundredths of a nanosecond, mm. um, and and the timescale difference only happens over years as well. So that it might only change by a few nanoseconds over seven years or something
0: so this is why this is a 12 and a half year data set
1: to make something out of this and and yeah and it turns out that even that's not long enough so that was the negative thing that I was reading through the abstract was (laughs) they're not they haven't quite nailed it down but this is looking really really good in terms of they're pretty certain that there's a signal in there. And one of these things that they can do is is look at the arrival times of pairs of pulsars. So if you've got one on one side and one on the other side, as you bob around, obviously, if Mm. there's any correlation between the two of them, you get this thing, the Hellings-Downs curve, which I thought was quite a cool thing. Love it. (laughs) But you 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 can plot that and actually see more... Information. It's it's. I guess it's a noise reduction technique essentially. Mm. But you can kind of start sort of saying yes, that is significant, and there's something going on. So this paper is the first time that they've actually used statistical analysis for years and years of data, and it looks like they're able to see the bobbing about of the Earth in the in the universe as as supermassive black hole mergers. Are causing these giant low frequency gravitational waves. So we're talking about a swell more than anything. So like neutron stars when they smash in, into each other are causing sort of big waves, whereas these supermassive black hole mergers are more like huge swells in the in the galactic ocean. And we're bobbing about in them. And this is the first, potentially the first measurement of that.
0: That's amazing. That's really amazing. I, this, something that kind of struck me about this is, like you said, this is 12 and a half years, right? And one of the outputs was, eh, and maybe not not long enough. This could be a kind of multi-generational survey, right? You imagine, you know, you 50-year data set. You know, that could be something that you start as a grad student and then, you know, you hand over to your grad students and, you know, three generations of scientists down, you, you have these kind of findings like... Uh, Gives you a little bit of perspective of the grand scale of the universe, that, doesn't it?
1: Just the fact that we are bobbing about all the time. We're being mm. sort of washed by this, by these gravitational waves. And the fact that pulsars are just so useful. I mean, like, it's just incredible that there's these like little lighthouses, little clocks.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: More than a lighthouse, there are a clock as well. There are a clock and, and, and a lighthouse, like the GPS of the ocean, of the galactic ocean. And it's it it's like they're becoming incredibly useful. So that's like the second time we've heard about them—the sort of these clocks out in the universe being used to kind of give us all this incredible information. Mm-hmm. But the fact, yeah, I just think I think it's amazing that you can that they're able to see these gravitational waves. I mean, it, particularly on the back of the fact that LIGO's only just seen them. Really, it's only been the last five years, and now we're sort of heading into a into a period where were able to see these things in lots of different ways.
0: Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's like, you know, the first person like pushed open the door and then you've got this flood of of, you know, detections mm. and, you know, methods. It's it it yeah, it's extraordinary, isn't
1: it? If you were umming and ahhing about going into astronomy, I think this it would definitely be a good time to go into astronomy. It's like the kind of like Uber time. Yeah.
0: Well that's that's what's amazing because I remember when I went to like Um, started grad school and I was like you know I I kind of was like oh well you know I'll study astronomy instead of you know more the solar system stuff because you know you know surely we've got the solar system figured out by now and then the more I learned about the things that were still to be discovered in planetary science it, it kind of just blew my mind right there is there is so much that we still don't know, right? It's just um, oh man,
1: it, it's oh. like yeah, like you said, just just in our own solar system, just in our own backyard. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't even know how many planets there are. There might be a massive oh, yeah. planet still looking for planet nine. <laughs> there might nine. be a massive planet just out there, <laughs> and then uh, it may even be. Uh, I mean, I still love the story about that that Planet Nine might be a, a little primordial black hole.
0: Well, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about that one.
1: Uh, no, I mean, it's very, very, it's very, <laughs> it's super tenuous, but crazier things have happened.
0: Well, I was going to say, yeah, that's the kind of thing that would have been discovered in 2020. So I think we're, uh, we're past yeah. that. Well,
1: the, <laughs> the, the one that's the most surprising is when New Horizons flew past Pluto. Mm. No one suspected it was going to look anything like that. Right?
0: Yeah, just like, oh, yeah, it'll be a cool rock. It'll just be a it'll, maybe it'll cool
1: look like the moon. Yeah, yeah, great. It'll be like Mercury or something like that. Yeah, yeah. just totally. And then like,
0: what? Like... Like the nitrogen ice planes, like, oh, gosh, yeah, yeah, that place is amazing, right?
1: And you think we didn't know anything about that, that Hubble, even Hubble is nowhere near powerful enough to see anything like that? No.
0: So obviously I'm biased, and I want to spend a little bit of time talking about Jupiter, if that's okay, (laughs) but the the, the one that's kind of blew my mind is... You know, the Juno mission, and we should talk yep. about Juno because Juno's mission has just got extended for an extra few years. Oh, so hopefully right, yeah. we'll find out more. But it discovered these crazy polar cyclones, right, at the North Pole and the South Pole. And um, I'm going to get these the wrong way around, but I think at the North Pole has got five s- cyclones in this pentagon and the South Pole has got eight in an octagon.
1: Yeah, th- those pictures are crazy, aren't they?
0: Yeah, and then the thing that blew my mind—it's after a few, um, a few laps that Juno did, like an extra cyclone joined the party on the North Pole, and then there was six in a, in a what is it—a hexagon? Like, yeah. what? Like <laughs> it, I, I, it just blows my mind that, like you know, firstly we don't understand this incredibly weird phenomenon, and then it just gets like weirder as we're watching it. It's just, um, oh. It's amazing, right?
1: Yeah, this... uh, it's the scale of it's the scale, isn't it, with Jupiter? Because Jupiter's so ridiculously big, as mm. in you can't even begin to imagine how big it is. Yeah, and then uh, and and the scale of everything that's happening on it is crazy. I mean, mm. I that that thing about Juno, the fact that that it's the when it's actually swinging. So close to Jupiter, and it's and it's actually getting relativistic effects from the gravity and the speed that it's going and everything else. It's mm-hmm. like it's a crazy spacecraft, and and the the amount of radiation that it receives off Jupiter as well. The fact that it can survive that,
0: it's mm-hmm. nuts. It's, um, but it's a crazy yeah, but place.
1: I I didn't really look too deeply in the Juno extension, but that am I right in saying that it's actually going to be allocated some moons to look at as well? That it's going to sort of come out of its
0: yeah, so I think the thing is because it's doing these flybys, right? So mm. every fifty-seven days, and it's um, be- because it wants to get really, really close to the surface of Jupiter, but you can't—you can't keep a spacecraft there. So it's in this very elliptical orbit, and mm. for the first time, it's going over the poles, which is why we've discovered these these cyclones. I'm realizing that I'm waving my hands, and uh, that <laughs> no one's going to yeah, be yeah. able to see that on the podcast.
1: You no, can imagine.
0: And um, so yeah, so it goes. It goes really, really close, and then it gets really quite far away. And uh, so I think you know the idea of this extension is that they'll be able to time the the furthest out point with skipping past some of the moons to get more of a for a closer look, right? So um, it says we will also be able to expand its investigations of the larger Jovian system, including Jupiter's rings and large moons, with targeted flybys. Of Ganymede, Europa, and Io. Wow. Yes. Oh, just wait. It's going to be I, great.
1: It has to be said that there has to be some serious maths going on for the orbital mechanics for that, right? As in that, the 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 people in, i presume assuming it's uh, JPL. Yeah. JPL.
0: Will be sitting
1: there working out these absolutely crazy orbital maneuvers to to make that work. I mean, oh, it, yeah. That that is insane. The what. Yeah, well, there's, a, there's another space mission that's delivered. Fair play <laughs> to job. NASA. They, they do seem to do this all the time where they have these space missions that it's like, yeah, it'll work for a couple of years and then it will be extended for six or eight, something like that, and... and Still deliver incredible science.
0: Well, you can't say no to a mission like Juno, can you? You'd be like, look, yeah. okay, it's done a very, very good job. Like you can't be like, oh, sorry guys. You know, we've got a perfectly well working spacecraft, but you know, let, let's put it on hold for now. So uh and Insight has got an extension as well, right? So that's gonna be running until the end of twenty twenty two. So this is the the Mars lander, right? Yeah which has had some bad news.
1: Yeah, that's that's recently the mer- the German Merle is dead. <laughs> it's died. They've finally given up.
0: Oh, it's because it was stuck. Is that right? It was, it yeah, was trying so to drill I, I, and...
1: This just reminds me about going on holiday with my parents or, or scouts or something like that. When, when you go camping, you, when you hammer your tent pegs in, you never know whether you're going to get the tent peg in or not. Sometimes you bang it and it goes straight in and it's fine. And then other times you're banging it, you hit a stone and then you hurt your hand and the tent peg gets bent yeah and, it's a lottery. And it's, yeah and it is a lottery even from plot to plot let alone campsite to campsite. And I think that's let alone
0: happened. planet <laughs> to planet. <laughs> let alone planet to planet.
1: So I think that's kind of what's happened here they I think they've been a little bit unlucky that that they thought they knew what the Martian regolith was going to be like or the you know the Martian soil and digging down and it turns out no it's 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 not the right type of soil for for this german mole to be digging down in and they've tried all sorts of things they've even tried whacking it with the arm of the Insight itself oh that was like some for-
0: proper martian you know yeah, like that, yeah, was yeah. that was sci-fi wasn't yeah, it it's yeah, like oh let's try and use the other <laughs> arm to whack it in it's like yeah oh.
1: they they science the f out of the german mole <laughs> but the, <laughs> they didn't quite make make it uh didn't quite nudge it down. It it got down 50 centimetres and it was supposed to go down five metres. So so bless it. But I I would imagine that it's still lots of information about. Mm
0: -hmm. So for the
1: next time that they try doing something like this, they'll, um, they'll be able to do something, you know, What's well, the better. thing,
0: right? You win some, you lose some. Like, you know, the, the amount of discoveries that InSight has been able to do, you know.
1: Yeah. Th- oh, that's the exact.
0: challenge. You never know yeah. exactly what you're going to get. And uh, they've, what is it? They've me- measured like 500 earthquakes or something or, like or, that.
1: Or Mars quakes.
0: Mars. Oh, yeah, Mars quakes. I, I've, I've, I I've written that.
1: earthquakes. I was like looking at it and going, I'm, I'm not going to fall for my own. But I did. <laughs> but, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> 500 <laughs> Mars quakes, yeah. And they weren't even sure there was was such things as earthquakes, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's again. Yes, it's just science a go go, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Insight's been insight's been really really cool as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, the last news story of of this then is the mm. um, God. We've managed to make this a very long episode. Is <laughs> the is uh, nuclear power in in space? and I, this was quite a surprising one i got a, an email from the uk space uk space agency saying that they'd signed a deal with rolls royce to look at nuclear space propulsion yeah this is something i think that's going to make a massive resurgence because i keep hearing about this from lots and lots and lots of different people
0: mm-hmm. so i
1: think that that if we're serious about going to mars or serious about like Sort of bigger projects. I think we are going to have to start thinking about nuclear power again because chemical chemical propulsion just is nowhere near as good. I
0: think all of these deep space missions are using
1: um, RTGs.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is I, I don't know. You, I don't think you can maybe call that a nuclear reactor, but it, it's it's sort of is it, is, isn't
1: it? I mean, it's nuclear. <sighs> I mean, essentially, it's nuclear power, isn't it? You're using yeah. the power of. The atom to get mm-hmm. you out to space, but yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. The, the two NASA rovers are RTG driven as well, aren't they? Mm. The Perseverance and uh, Curiosity. Yeah. I think um, people
0: just get a bit nervous when you use the word nuclear, right? It's it's got these images of uh, yeah disaster and destruction.
1: Yeah. <laughs> they they do, but mm-hmm. and I, I, I and there is a sort of problem of launching these things, isn't there? You know that the like the Perseverance rover launches on a very safe rocket. Mm. It's like, because if it, if it, (laughs) if it crashes and, and spreads a bunch of plutonium everywhere, it it is bad news. It's not, it's not great. Yeah. I was quite surprised of how many uh, nuclear reactors have been launched into space. Like even back in the sort of late sixties, they were launching, you know, test nuclear reactors up into, up into Mm -hmm. space. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, this is the UK and, and, it seems like a really odd one on the on the surface but actually the uk turns out is is actually got quite a good track record in this exact field mm-hmm. so obviously the bis is one of the one of the places that have talked about nuclear propulsion for a long time so uh, alan bond and daedalus is a you know nuclear propulsion a little bit over the top because that's an interstellar craft rather than just going to mars but there's also the fact that all our univer- there's a lot of universities, and uh, uh, in particular, obviously, the University of Manchester, where nuclear power was essentially invented. <laughs> so, you know, with uh, Rutherford, Rutherford, yeah. of course, being a, a Kiwi Brit, I'm- I know that the 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 Kiwis like to sort of have him as their own. Hence, the Rutherford engine on the electron rocket.
0: That's but isn't not- that?
1: Yep. Yeah, it is a nod, but it's a little bit disappointing that the, that the Rutherford engine isn't a nuclear engine, isn't it, really? It should be. If you're going to call a, a rocket engine a, a Rutherford, it should be a nuclear-powered engine. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, that's a true. Yeah, maybe that'll be the next
1: generation for them. Yeah, but Rutherford, yeah, Rutherford should definitely go down as one of the, the biggest heroes of all time. Yeah, so, you know, we talked earlier right at the beginning about how, like, going through that entire generation of of knowledge and how mm. the world changes 1917 was rutherford's first man-made nuclear reaction so it's wow. only a little bit over a hundred years ago and you just think how much that's crazy that, that, yeah. that we know beyond that now like he, that's when he discovered the proton <laughs> it's like what uh, it's only a hundred years ago you know, essentially oh. it's only a hundred years ago, and I think that's incredible. But but yeah, so Rolls-Royce as well, and you think, well, what, what do Rolls-Royce know? Well, I, obviously Rolls-Royce know a lot about propulsion. <laughs> yeah. But they also build nuclear reactors, and they're 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 actually looking at building 16 mini nuclear reactors called modular nuclear reactors. SMRs small modular nuclear reactors that are uh, around the UK so they they're thinking of building these little sort of miniature power stations
0: mm.
1: and and Rolls-Royce have always been involved in all these control systems and computer st- systems and stuff for nuclear you know nuclear reactors all around the world so Rolls-Royce are experts Loads of supply chains in the UK are are specifically set up for a similar sort of thing. Obviously, we've got a big nuclear power industry as well. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a joke. There is actually some kind of cool element to this. In fact, super cool. The fact that the UK is actually looking at something as far out and as potentially, you know, a, a, a transformative technology as nuclear propulsion in space. Mm. Halves the journey to Mars Halves the journey to Mars And if you think about the ironic element of that Is that it halves the radiation dose That you would receive as an astronaut
0: Oh, interesting, yeah like, I, You know what, I've always thought about that Because Mars, you know, what is it? What, like an eight-month route? Eight months ra- eight month to get
1: month, there? Yeah, eight months That's a long time It's but- it's It's insane long time but Three to four months, that's that's um, it that sounds more, more doable, res-
0: it does, doesn't it? That's a lockdown, that is, you know, yeah,
1: well, exactly. It, it if you think about the difference between your food supplies that you will mm. require for eight months and a, a four month journey, is massively different, isn't it?
0: Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: like there's so many elements to it, and 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 how long your life support systems have to work for, and what efficiency they work at, there's mm-hmm. you know that like halving it is a big deal you know even knocking off 10% would be a big deal but halving it would be like a proper big deal
0: mhm
1: well hopefully i i might be wrong it might just be all all wind but it's it's it'd be good wouldn't it if if that means that we're really serious about space of course harriet you're 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 in you're in the epicentre of uk space aren't you at harwell
0: yeah, it's uh, well, oh, it's really sad this year, you know, because obviously everyone's working from home, so you don't get that kind of um same community spirit, I guess, when everything's virtual, right? But uh yeah, I mean, honestly, Harwell is is it is the place to be for UK space, right? You I think there's over 100 space companies all in the same place and uh that that's really exciting because you've got you know you've got you know what you're walking down the street and you've got oh you know here's a company doing this you've got a company doing that like you know there's a uh you were talking about it before in terms of you know the the uk supply chain and the whole ecosystem that's coming together right so uh yeah exciting things to come for sure
1: yeah it is exciting it is exciting harriet thanks very much for um thanks very much for oh, being, it's a being pleasure, my co-host as always I need to to get you on more often as co-host. It's good to have a new voice, a new perspective. We'll do some good
0: space chats,
1: for sure. I'm going to say thanks very much to the Patreons for their support, as always. If you want to get in touch, then go to the website www.interplanetary.org.uk or go to our Patreon site, patreon.com forward slash interplanetary. And you can join the journey and join us on Discord. Where Harriet's on Discord too now. <laughs> Woohoo! Yes. yes. <laughs> and Chris and Julio, all the gang are there. It's going to be good. So um, I hope you all have a nice weekend. What, if th- what are you going to do this week, Harriet, other in your lockdown?
0: Oh, gosh, good question. I've got Paint by Numbers going on. That's um, <laughs> <laughs> just started that. It's <laughs> my highlight of the week, I think.
1: <laughs> paint by Numbers, is that your way to relax?
0: yeah you know it's very relaxing actually and um yeah you know I haven't painted since like I was literally a child right so it's um uh yeah it's quite soothing I'd recommend it and you nice. end up with a piece of art at the end which you can be very smug about so uh, win-win <laughs> yes yeah, so
1: I, I painted this myself
0: <laughs> exactly no one needs to know there were numbers <laughs> numbers behind it right so uh, awesome <laughs> How about you, well, Matt? What What have you got to look forward to uh, this uh, week?
1: I'm finishing off. I've I've been this weekend. I've been working on doing uh, a cover of "Under Pressure" for my Queen podcast that I have going. Amazing. So uh, yeah, it's actually a good one. "Under Pressure." <laughs> what a song! Oh my god. I yeah. might have to I might have to do another one. Leaves the crust now.
0: What? where you could actually like well, swap, I'd the change, words.
1: Swap, swap, the, swap the words and send it to Peter Beck and go. I'll be down. I've done a. Oh trying to do a New Zealand accent and then and failed and accidentally did say. Oh America. no, don't be do Don't beat. Do <laughs> right, that's it. Bye bye spot cats. <laughs>